Ouch. Last week's inflation data hurt, and energy prices are a main culprit. Why? And what to do next? Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of June 13th, 2022, and today we're going to talk about energy and not without cause. Julia and I were sitting in a Friday morning research meeting when the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics released its consumer price inflation data for May. And let me tell you, it was painful. Yes. Most investors expected inflation to be high, but starting to move in the right direction, hopefully. And that was not the case this time. Consumer prices are now up 8.6% year on year. And later that same Friday, the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey came out, and that is focused on how households are dealing with inflation. And that came out with a record low reading. Yeah, we are just seeing a troubling broadening of cost pressures in the U.S. across things from used cars to clothing, as well as food. But the real story here is energy. On May 31st, European countries announced that they would be looking to reduce their reliance on Russian oil and gas. And more on that in a second. And Global energy prices are already feeling the result of that, including here at home. The American Automobile Association has a measure of daily average gas prices for unleaded gas, and it's at the brink of $5 a gallon, higher here in New York. Yeah, it really is starting to feel like energy costs are getting out of hand. And I said that we can blame inflation mostly on energy. And why are energy costs out of whack? International problem child, the Russian government, and the fact that we have to sanction them. Yeah, honestly, there's been so much news flow, it's hard to keep track of the exact status of the EU-Russia sanction situation. So where are we today? The EU has banned Russian oil imports that arrive from sea routes as of December of this year, with an exception for what arrives by pipeline. In effect, that means the EU would be banning 90% of their Russian oil imports by the end of this year. It's a pretty drastic step, especially for a continent that relies on Russia for about 36% of its oil imports per CNBC. So what an import ban like that prompts is a massive redistribution of demand for energy away from Russia and toward oil from anywhere else. And with the Russian oil off the table for Europe and the U.S., global supply is going to be constrained to the tune of about 3 million barrels per day per the Dallas Fed. And per the purpose of this episode... The ban sent energy prices soaring. West Texas Intermediate, or WTI, which is the crude shale oil that comes from the U.S., is up to $120 a barrel as of this recording, which is almost at the peak of what oil prices reached during Russia's initial invasion of Ukraine. That was $124 a barrel a couple months ago. Yeah, Lauren. And for context, the highest that generic WTI futures prices have ever gone was to $140 a barrel during the global financial crisis. So we're getting into pretty scary territory again. But this is all with the goal, at least from the EU's perspective, of hopefully taking a chunk out of revenue from the Russian war chest. Per the Carnegie Endowment, Russia has been earning more than $1 billion a day from their energy exports to Europe historically. But no more, hopefully. Well, we should say that it's not clear this will happen in such a clean way. 
For example, the oil and gas volumes that Russia would otherwise be sending to Europe could now be absorbed from other countries like China, India, or Turkey. And it's a global market after all. The, the global market dynamic could apply on the more supply side of things too. Countries like Saudi Arabia could produce more to account for the lower production out of Russia. Yeah, Axios has been reporting that President Biden is on his way to visit Saudi Arabia soon. So I wonder what that could be about. Yeah, real head scratcher. And there are other options to to impact the global energy supply other than just Saudi Arabia, although it is the swing vote in terms of global oil production. The U.S. can continue to release strategic petroleum reserves, but that's a Band-Aid solution. And we're already releasing 1.1 million barrels per day from those reserves. The U.S. can also ramp up shale production, but that's not immediate and requires probably some investment. And over the long term, we could invest more in renewables, but emphasis on long term there. Yeah, you use the word investment here, and that's really important because what we're facing is not just an oil supply shock from Russia or the policies imposed on Russia, but that we've had decades of underinvestment both in traditional and renewable sources of energy or energy capacity. And due to that combination, the real takeaway for investors is that we expect an extended period of elevated energy prices. This could last for years. That takes us to our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. We've been talking about the idea of peak Fed hawkishness for some time. And until inflation data came out this week, it looked like we could still be there. Yeah, that CPI print shattered some dreams there, I think. The ugly takeaway is that energy prices are likely only to increase further in June. Crude oil prices are up about 5% so far in June, I think even a little bit more today. And that May print that we saw that's caused so much drama didn't even count that. Yeah, that's a great point. And it makes it very difficult for investors to argue about a peak in inflation and a peak in hawkish Fed expectations. So what does that mean for the markets? We're already seeing some tumult this week. Yeah, unfortunately, it means that we're probably going to see more volatility ahead. But in this environment, there tend to be two camps on how to respond. The first would be to hunker down, buy Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, aka TIPS, or go into cash even. Which can have actually the opposite of the intended effect and potentially harm returns and total wealth generation in a high inflation environment. Exactly. It can be a bit counterintuitive there. And camp number two, aside from hunkering down, would be to follow more of the millennial or Gen Z trend and day trade. High inflation can spark what we would call a hunt for yield, where investors are taking on increasingly risky investments in the hope of getting some amazing returns. We, as a multi-asset team, sit somewhere in the middle. You can get inflation resilience outside of core bonds and gold. In our portfolios, we've gone toward high-yield fixed income, just as one example, and high-quality dividend-yielding equities, which can provide some income and help to build resiliency against some of these inflation-related shocks. Investors can also look for strategies with cash flows linked to inflation, so benefiting from it rather than avoiding it, which includes municipal bonds and infrastructure equity. And finally, getting access to the energy and commodity space, if you can handle the day-to-day volatility, is looking like more of a structural play per those investment themes that we mentioned earlier. It's also worth mentioning before we close that the felt economic impacts of higher inflation, higher market volatility, and central bank action, all of these things can be serious. So we don't want to discount how challenging market volatility has felt lately. This is not just true in the US, but also in Europe. 
We talked in last week's episode about the health of the consumer in this economy and higher gas prices are impacting driving costs in these summer months and would impact heating costs later. For those European countries, as Julia mentioned, where 36% of their energy imports come from Russia, this, this could be a serious increase in costs. Governments may decide to try and cap prices or take other actions to reduce the impact of those costs in coming months. But the long story short is that in addition to the market risk we're seeing, this energy price increase is a risk to the consumer and therefore the global economy as well. Coming up next, it's the most exciting week for economics nerds like Julia and myself, Fed Week. With inflation still stubbornly rising, the Fed will be pressured to deliver on signaling a 50 basis point rate hike, not just in this month's meeting, but potentially next month as well. Quantitative tightening is also underway, but we'll see if inflation pressure moves up the pace of balance sheet runoff. That's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. In the meantime, please remember to give us a like, a follow, or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can follow our views at newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the Insights tab. Until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Julia Herman. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamats and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which may vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or adopt any investment strategy. There's no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nylife Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nylife Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.